听 Grandeur YYFM. You're listening to YYFM. It's time for tales around the teapot, just for you. The Demise of Charlie Higgins, written by Jenny Lewis, and narrated by Diana Parsons. Charlie Higgins had just turned sixty-five the first time he died. He had been persuaded to retire, which gave him far too much time at home. A mild-mannered man, short in stature, he had a wiry musculature. That came from years of physical work as a jobbing gardener. He was a man of few words, the kind of man that people barely noticed. The kids in the village called him Quasimodo, on account of the increasing stoop of his back, no doubt from years of shouldering a considerable burden. He was in his garden when it happened, digging up potatoes. Suddenly. He felt most peculiar. Then he felt nothing at all. It was as though the world ceased to exist for him, and he found he didn't care. Nothing mattered. This is what people mean when they say, "Rest in peace." He mused. No angels, no pearly gates, not even a devil in sight. I always said there was nothing after death. He thought, completely overlooking the fact he was still able to think. He was rather disappointed when they resuscitated him, and brought him back to this troubling world. They said he'd had a heart attack and advised him to take it easy, but he was more concerned about his vegetable patch than his state of health. However. This little emergency, as he called it, forced him to consider the fragility of his existence, to reappraise his life, and to rearrange his priorities. Dealing with his wife came top of the list. Beryl, his wife of almost forty years, was the most irritating woman he had ever known. Big and loud, she never stopped talking. It was as if she was playing some very long looped tape recording, going on and on about trivia, recounting stories about people he didn't know and had zero interest in anyway. He'd heard all about Doris's sister-in-law's aunt's ailments without ever knowing who the hell Doris was. Charlie had learned many years ago the art of selective hearing, and took himself down to his vegetable patch at the bottom of the garden to get away from the incessant talking. That was how he came to appreciate being dead, the total absence of meaningless chatter. Oh, he supposed he must love Beryl. After all, he'd stuck it out for forty years, but he found the idea of helping her to experience the peace of death rather appealing.
He was no murderer, of course, just an affable man of a certain age, indulging in a pleasurable fantasy. The trouble with fantasy, however, is that the more you mentally rehearse it, the more appealing it becomes. Charlie dreamed of easing Beryl's passing with the rat poison he'd bought some years ago and mixed with sugar to make it more appealing to its rodent victims. He kept it in an old canister marked sugar on the top shelf in the shed. What would he do with the body, though? He set about digging and soon had a suitable patch of freshly turned earth where his dear wife could rest her weary bones. Amid the earthworms that had so far been spared her constant verbiage. The only problem lay in how to get said twenty-stone wife to her burial place. He certainly couldn't carry her, being himself only half her size. Every morning, at precisely eleven o'clock, Beryl would call him in for coffee. The idea came to him to encourage her to bring the coffee to him at the veggie patch so he could drink it in peace. Soon, he realised that if he could get her to stay down there, he wouldn't have to drag her body there. And so, he indulged his imagination and invited her to have coffee with him at the bottom of the garden sitting on deck chairs in front of his shed. Beryl proved very obliging and would bring the coffee on a tray along with a milk jug and sugar bowl together with his favourite Bourbon biscuits. She would stay for about 20 minutes, chatting away while Charlie mentally perfected his fantasy murder. It was, in fact, purely by accident that Beryl ingested a lethal dose of rat poison. She had left the sugar bowl in the kitchen and asked Charlie to fetch it. Being a compliant sort of chap, he agreed and went back up to the house. He took far longer than expected as he got caught up on the phone with some friend of Beryl's who took full advantage of being able to get a word in edgeways. By the time he got back to the shed, poor Beryl was lying on the ground, clutching her considerable belly. Are you all right, Beryl? Charlie asked in his timorous voice. This would be a good time for her to say something useful for a change, he thought. But for once, Beryl said absolutely nothing. And that was how Charlie realised his wife was dead. Finding himself so unexpectedly a widower, he consoled himself by doing what he always did when he was stressed. He began digging. It was soothing to his long-suffering spirit to dig the patch he had turned over just last week. The patch that in his daydreams happened to be just the right size for Beryl to lie in comfortably. 
It didn't take long as the earth was freshly dug. Soon he had a nice hole about six feet deep with the soil piled up on the far side of it. He straightened his back to ease the tension between his shoulder blades and absently took a swig or two of his now cold coffee. It occurred to him rather belatedly to wonder why Beryl had so obligingly done it. His eyes swept the scene and came to rest on the little wrought iron table between the two deck chairs. The evidence was there in the shape of the canister marked sugar. Standing there with the lid off, she must have got tired of waiting for him to come back with the sugar and sweetened her coffee with the contents of the rat poison jar. It wasn't long before Charlie started to feel unwell, with griping pains seizing his belly. That was when the penny dropped, that Beryl must have sweetened his coffee in the same way as her own. Anger suddenly gripped him. All the frustration and resentment of forty years welled up in him. He staggered over to where she lay and swore and raged at her for being so inconsiderate as to kill him along with herself. It was quite a simple matter, as he stood berating her, to roll Beryl's rotund body over and over with his foot till she lay on the earth right beside the freshly dug resting place. With a final effort, he managed to roll the body in. Too bad she landed face down. He certainly couldn't turn her over. Anyway, he was feeling very poorly by now. Just then, a head poked up over the fence. It was Bill Jenkins, who had lived next door for many years and knew what Charlie had to put up with, being in the same boat himself. You okay there, Charlie? Call an ambulance, Bill. I feel terrible. And that was the second time Charlie Higgins died. He just sank into that blissful state of your consciousness that he had so enjoyed before, except that this time there was a glorious light shining at the end of a long tunnel. He could hear his father calling him as he floated towards him. But then came another voice. Stand clear! Okay, we've got him back! Then an incessant bleeping and some bloody woman was calling his name over and over. Mr Higgins? Mr Higgins? Can you hear me, Mr Higgins? Someone opened each of Charlie's eyes in turn and shone a blinding light in them. He groaned. Can you open your eyes for me now, Mr Higgins? He really just wanted to sleep. 
but being a man who always did as he was told, he managed to open his eyelids a fraction to see the outline of an angel in a nurse's uniform. How are you feeling now? This angel nurse was asking. I'd be feeling fine if you'd left me dead, he grumbled. All I want is some peace and quiet, so please, no bringing me back to life in future. I'd rather stay dead. Are you quite sure? she asked. It's a very big decision. Never been more sure in my life, snapped Charlie. The nurse nodded and brought him a form to fill in and sign. She put a sign above his bed head saying, Do not resuscitate. The next time he saw her, he remembered to ask, How's my wife? Oh, I'm so sorry, Mr Higgins. There was nothing we could do to save her. She was already gone by the time the paramedics got to you. Oh, and by the way, the police want to interview you as soon as you're up to it. Police? Why? Well, it's not for me to say, Mr Higgins, but I gather it's something to do with why your wife's body was found in an open grave. Holy shit. Now he was in deep trouble. Nobody would believe it was an accident. Charlie could feel his heart rate rising, his breath coming shallow and rapid, fear coursing through his whole body. And that was the third time Charlie Higgins died. His heart just gave out. Only this time it was different. This time his world remained loud and clear. He was in some kind of hell. Beryl was there with him, going on and on at him demanding his attention to the minutest details of her agonising journey into death and beyond. Charlie would have clapped his hands over his ears to blot out the sound if he still had ears, or hands for that matter. But then he realised the sound was actually payback time for his guilty fantasy, and nothing could drown it out. He wanted to shout out to be brought back to life, to be rescued from this eternal state of torture. The bleeping machine beside him screamed that he had flatlined. Someone called for a crash trolley, but then the nurse pointed to the do not resuscitate sign. The doctor on duty queried it, and then, on being shown the form Charlie had so recently signed, he pronounced the time of death and withdrew from the bedside, leaving the nurse to attend to the body. And so Charlie Higgins, accompanied into eternity by his beloved wife, was finally, irretrievably, dead. Diolch am rando i YYFM 
am fwy o gynnwys fel hyn i ddilyni ar lein ac i arael ni wybod beth hoffech chi glywed nesaf, ewch chi at yyfm.com. Thanks for listening to YYFM. For more content like this, to follow us online and to tell us what you want to hear more of, visit itsyyfm.com.